Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners and thanks for stopping by. I had the opportunity this past week to take a look around Fredericksburg, Virginia's Old Town District, including stops at the haunted Rising Sun Tavern and the Confederate Cemetery. Walking around the town that dates back to the 1700s, the vibe is definitely supernatural. The towns associated with both George Washington and James Monroe, as well as being the site of a major Civil War battlefield. And with all of that history of death and tragedy, it's one of the most haunted locations in the United States. While I did get a chance to take some location photos and take some EVPs, or electronic voice phenomenon recordings, unfortunately, I was not able to catch anything significant. But in talking with some of the local guides, I did get first-hand accounts of ghostly encounters, including their experiences with a lively ghost of a previous tavern owner. There's a lot to absorb in Old Town Fredericksburg, so we'll cover the ghosts of Fredericksburg sometime soon on a future episode of the podcast. Now, on to our encounter with the Yeti. In Asia... A huge, hairy ape-man stomps through the snowy Himalayan mountain range, hunting for prey and terrorizing local people, or so the legend goes. For generations, stories of the Yeti have been told. Does he live in an icy cave? Is he related to Bigfoot, the ape-man said to roam the forests of the northwestern United States? Is this cryptid even real? Well, the people of the region believe it is and they have experienced it for centuries, and those stories can be downright terrifying. You see, unlike its North American cousin Bigfoot, this is not necessarily a shy and secretive creature. It has been known to actually attack people and carry off livestock. The Yeti in Himalayan folklore is a bipedal, ape-like creature purported to inhabit the Himalayan mountain range in Asia. Folklorists trace the origin of the Yeti to a combination of factors including Sherpa folklore and perhaps misidentification of wildlife such as bear or yak. In Western popular culture, the creature is commonly referred to as the abominable snowman. Supposed evidence of the Yeti's existence include anecdotal visual sightings, video recordings, photographs, and casts of large footprints, though some of these are speculated or known to be outright hoaxes. While the Yeti sometimes leaves tracks in snow, it's also said to dwell below the Himalayan snow line. Despite dozens of expeditions into the remote mountain regions of Russia, China, and Nepal, the existence of the Yeti remains, as of now, unproven. And although by far not the most alarming of cryptids said to exist, and certainly not the most dangerous creature of folklore, the Yeti is nevertheless often believed to be a creature that is best left alone. It's also a popular basis for many monsters in fiction due to its reputation for aggressive behavior. Let's take a look at what this legendary beast is believed to be and look into sightings over the years. The Yeti also known as the Snow Ape and the Abominable Snowman, is a purported humanoid creature. It is said to be muscular, covered with dark grayish or reddish-brown hair, and weighing between 200 and 400 pounds. Of course, popular films, books, and even comics usually show the Yeti as being light in color, usually snowy white, like a polar bear. However, eyewitness reports suggest the creature is much darker in color, allowing it to show up easily against white backgrounds in the Himalayan region. It is relatively short compared to North America's Bigfoot, averaging about 6 feet in height. Though this is the most common form, reported yetis have come in a variety of shapes, some being much taller. And interestingly, there seem to be not just one type of yeti, but three. Mountaineer and author Graham Hoyland says, 
In the course of 30 or so trips to the Himalayans, I've heard many tales about the Yeti from Sherpas, and they were clearly believers. There are very similar stories from local villagers all along the Himalayas, and even though the names change, they seem to be talking about three kinds of Yetis, Hoyland says. These three types of Yetis all range in size and environment. First and largest is the terrifying Zuti, who stands eight feet tall when he's on his back legs. However, he prefers to walk on all fours. He can reportedly kill a yak with one swipe of his claws. There is the smaller Chuthe, or Thelma, a little reddish-colored child-sized creature who walks on two legs and has long arms. He's seen in the forests of Sikkim and Nepal. And then there is the Métis, which is most like a man and has orangey-red fur on his body. He attacks humans and is the one most often depicted on monastery wall paintings. Yete, or Yeti, is a mutation of his name. According to H. Seiger, the Yeti was a part of the pre-Buddhist beliefs of several Himalayan people. He was told that the Lepsha people worshipped a glacier being as a god of the hunt. He also reported that followers of the Bon religion once believed the blood of the Migrog, or wild man, had use in certain spiritual ceremonies. The being was depicted as an ape-like creature who carries a large stone as a weapon and makes a whistling swoosh sound. Initially, the creatures were thought to be fictional, stories the Nepalese would tell children to keep them from wandering into the wild. And we've seen this many times before, with legendary creatures serving as a cautionary tale to help keep children safe through fear of the unknown outside their homes. The Yeti became included in more serious Sherpa Buddhist tradition about 350 years ago when a holy man named Sangwa Dorji took up residence in a cave near the remote village of Pangbosh, which had clear views of Mount Everest. Legend has it that Lama Sangwa wanted to remain alone, meditating. To help, friendly yetis brought him food, water, and fuel. When one yeti died, the holy man kept its scalp and hand as a reminder of the creature's kindness. When the lama created a temple, these yeti relics became a main attraction. In 1832, James Princeps' Journal of the Asiatic Society of Bengal published trekker B.H. Hodson's account of his experiences in northern Nepal. His local guide spotted a tall, bipedal creature covered with long, dark hair, which seemed to flee in fear. Hodgson concluded it was an orangutan, though orangutans only ever inhabited the lower foothills of the Himalayas, but are not now found in that region. An early record of reported footprints appeared in 1899 in Lawrence Waddle's Among the Himalayas. Waddle reported his guide's description of a large ape-like creature that left the prints, which Waddle thought were made by a bear. Waddle heard stories of bipedal ape-like creatures, but wrote that none, however, of the many Tibetans I have interrogated on this subject could ever give me an authentic case. On the most superficial investigation, it always resolved into something that somebody heard tell of. In modern times, when Westerners started traveling to the Himalayas, the myth became more sensational, according to the BBC. And how did the name Abominable Snowman come about? In 1921... A journalist named Henry Newman, an Anglo-journalist working in Calcutta in the 1920s, interviewed a group of British explorers who had just returned from a Mount Everest expedition. The explorers told the journalists they had discovered some very large footprints on the mountain to which their guides had attributed to Metokanjmi, essentially meaning man-bear-snowman. Sherpas on the expedition discovered footprints that they believed belonged to the wild man of the snows, and word quickly spread through the Tibetans. Newman, hearing these reports, garbled the Tibetan term. Newman got the snowman part right, but mistranslated metal as filthy. Then, after considering it, he seemed to think abominable sounded even better, settling finally on the abominable snowman for his English-speaking readers and used this more menacing name in the paper. The name stuck. That misinterpretation created a legend. Cryptozoologist Ivan Sanderson would later describe the impact of the name as being like an explosion of an atom bomb, capturing the imagination of school kids and armchair explorers all over Europe and America. 
An abomination does more than evoke metaphysical horror and physical disgust. It is an affront to the ways in which we understand the world. Mary Douglas, in her 1966 anthropological classic, Purity and Danger, argues that one of the fundamental means humans have for understanding the world is to organize it into the clean and the unclean. Religious rituals and prohibitions, taboo and transgression, all work to formalize these categories. But abominations, she writes, are the obscure, unclassifiable elements which do not fit the pattern of the cosmos. They are incompatible with holiness and blessing. On the border between here and there, an abomination doesn't just mark the limit of civilization. It troubles the boundaries themselves. It interrupts the categories we make to make sense of the world, she says. While the Yeti is a character in ancient legends and folklore of the Himalaya people, in most of the tales, the Yeti is also a figure of danger, author Shiva Dakal told the BBC. The moral of the stories is often a warning to avoid dangerous wild animals and stay close and safe within the community. Alexander the Great demanded to see a Yeti when he conquered the Indus Valley in 326 BC, but according to National Geographic, local people told him they were unable to present one because the creatures could not survive at that low an altitude. In her book, Still Living, Yeti, Sasquatch, and the Neanderthal Enigma, researcher Myra Shackley offers the following description reported by two hikers in 1942 who saw two black specks moving across the snow about a quarter mile below them. Despite this significant distance, they offered the following very detailed description. The height was not much less than eight feet. The heads were described as squarish, and the ears must lie close to the skull because there was no projection from the silhouette against the snow. The shoulders sloped sharply down to a powerful chest, covered by reddish-brown hair, which formed a close body fur mixed with long straight hairs hanging downward. Another person saw a creature about the size and build of a small man, the head covered with long hair, but the face and chest not very hairy at all. Reddish-brown in color and bipedal, it was busy grubbing up roots and occasionally emitted a loud, high-pitched cry. It's not clear if these sightings were real, hoaxes, or misidentifications, though legendary mountaineer Reinhold Mesner, who spent months in Nepal and Tibet, concluded that large bears in their tracks had often been mistaken for Yeti. He described his own encounter with a large bipedal creature he could not identify as a bear or otherwise in his book, My Quest for the Yeti, Confronting the Himalayas' Deepest Mystery. The Yeti has often been compared physiologically to the American Sasquatch, as both are large, hold a structural similarity to the great apes family, are covered in hair, have a sagittal chest atop their heads, and possess an extremely potent smell. However, unlike Sasquatch, there have been few visual sightings of the Yeti at close range reported since the 20th century. Much of current understanding of the Yeti comes from artistic representations in ancient temples and monasteries, as well as stories and legends passed down by the people of the Himalayas. Because of this, there are many discrepancies as to what exactly the Yeti looks like. Some have suggested that the Yeti is light-colored so as to blend in with the snow and always walks upright, while others have stated that the Yeti is smaller, of darker color, walks on four legs like a bear, but stands on two feet when scared or threatened, as gorillas are known to do. Because of the location of the Yeti and the romantic adventures associated with expeditions to discover one, the image of the Yeti as a monster has not as easily been dropped from popular interest as with the American Sasquatch. For centuries, the people who have lived in the Himalayan region of Nepal, India, and Tibet have believed that the mountains were sacred and mysterious places, possibly due to the fact that it is one of the most remote and inaccessible locations on the planet. Such a reverence for nature has often been accompanied by a strong projection of supernatural elements and beliefs in similar regions. This is the case in the Himalayas, where many magical creatures were said to inhabit the mountains, one of which is the Yeti. 
different cultures in the region have held different opinions of the Yeti over the years. The Sherpas, for example, have an almost ambivalent feeling towards the creature, often using it as a bedtime story to help keep children disciplined. The Tibetans, on the other hand, have often viewed the Yeti as a creature to be dreaded, and it is seen as ferocious in mural artwork. In Nepal, there are stories of the Yeti coming down from the mountain to feed off of livestock, occasionally terrorizing the local population directly. It should be noted, however, that these stories may actually be combinations of many different types of creatures and legends. Interpretations and translations by Westerners over the years have left the idea of the Yeti somewhat confused. This is well seen in the creature's name. Yeti derives from Yeti, which refers to an animal that resembles the American Sasquatch on a smaller scale, while Mete translates as man-beast, which, from the vantage point of popular perception, is probably a more fitting description. Yet it is the term Yeti that has survived as the popular naming convention. Regardless of what it is called, there have certainly been many encounters and sightings over the years. And those sightings have not only contributed to what we know, or at least think we know, about the Yeti, but have also served to keep the legend very much alive. So, eyewitness accounts of the Yeti date back to the very formation of communities surrounding the Himalayas, with local inhabitants reporting encounters with the strange and frightening ape-like wild men of the mountains. The frequency of reports increased during the early 20th century when Westerners began making determined attempts to climb the many mountains in the area and occasionally reported seeing odd creatures or strange tracks. Peter Byrne reported finding a Yeti footprint in 1948 in northern Sikkim, India, near the Zemu Glacier while on holiday from a Royal Air Force assignment in India. In 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and Sherpa Tenzing Norgay reported seeing large footprints while scaling Mount Everest. Hillary would later discount Yeti reports as unreliable. In his first autobiography, Tenzing, the renowned Nepali Indian Sherpa mountaineer and partner of Hillary, said that he believed the Yeti was a large ape, and although he had never seen it himself, his father had seen one twice. During the Daily Mail Snowman Expedition of 1954, the mountaineering leader John Angelo Jackson made the first trek from Everest to Kanchin Junga and photographed symbolic paintings of the Yeti. Jackson tracked and photographed many footprints in the snow, most of which were identifiable. However, there were many large footprints which could not be identified. Slaomir Rawitz claimed in his book The Long Walk, published in 1956, that he and some others were crossing the Himalayas in the winter of 1940 when their path was blocked for hours by two bipedal animals that were doing seemingly nothing but shuffling around in the snow. And most recently, in April of 2019, an Indian Army mountaineering expedition team claimed to have spotted mysterious Yeti footprints, measuring 32 by 15 inches near the Makalu base camp. Mountaineer and author Graham Hoyland recounts what he believes to be 10 of the most compelling Yeti sightings and encounters over the years. Sighting 1, Pliny the Elder, circa 300 BC, India. Alexander the Great set out to conquer Persia and India in 326 BC, penetrating nearly as far as Kashmir. He heard about strange wild men of the snows who were described as something like the satyrs, the lustful Greek gods with the body of a man, but the horns, legs, and feet of an animal. Alexander demanded to have one of them brought to him, but the local villagers said the creature could not survive at low altitude. Later, Pliny the Elder wrote in his Naturalis Historia, In the land of the satyrs, in the mountains that lie to the east of India, live creatures that are extremely swift, as they can run on both four feet and on two. They have bodies like men, and because of their speed, can only be caught when they are ill or old. Sighting 2. Brian Houghton Hodgson, Nepal, 1930s. The earliest Western account of a wild man in the Himalayas dates from 1832 and is given by Brian Houghton Hodgson, the court of Nepal's first British resident and the first Englishman permitted to visit the then-forbidden land. Hodgson 
had to contend with the hotbed that was, and still is, Nepalese politics. He was particularly interested in the natural history and ethnography of the region, and so his report does carry some weight. He recorded that his native hunters had been frightened by a wild man. Hodgson wrote, Religion has introduced the Bandar monkey into the central region, where it seems to flourish half-domesticated in the neighborhood of temples in the populous valley of Nepal proper. My shooters were once alarmed in the Kachar by the apparition of a wild man, possibly an orang, meaning orangutan, but I doubt their accuracy. They mistook the creature for a demon and fled from it instead of shooting it. It moved, they said, erectly, was covered with long dark hair, and had no tail. Citing 3, William U. Knight, Tibet, 1888. One of the best-known explorers of Tibet and a member of the British Royal Society's club said that he had seen one of the wild men from a fairly close distance sometime previously. He hadn't reported it before, but felt that due to the statement about man-like footprints that was made by Howard Burry's party, he was now compelled to add his own evidence to the growing pile. Knight said that the wild man was a little under six feet high, almost stark naked in that bitter cold. It was the month of November. He was kind of pale yellow all over, a shock of matted hair on his head, little hair on his face, highly splayed feet, and large, formidable hands. His muscular development in the arms, thighs, legs, back, and chest were great. He had in his hand what seemed to be some form of primitive bow. Sighting 4. Major Lawrence Waddell, Northern India, circa 1889. The first sighting of Yeti footprints by a Westerner was made by the English soldier and explorer Major Lawrence Waddell. He was a professor of Tibetan culture and a professor of chemistry, a surgeon, and an archaeologist, and he had roamed Tibet in disguise. While exploring in northeast Sikkim in 1889, Waddle's party came across a set of large footprints which his servants said were made by the Yeti, a beast that was highly dangerous and fed on humans. Waddle stated, Some large footprints in the snow led across our track and away up to the higher peaks. These were alleged to be the trail of the hairy wild men who were believed to live amongst the eternal snows, along with mythical white lions whose roar is reputed to be heard during he continued, The belief in these creatures is universal among Tibetans. These so-called hairy wild men are evidently the great yellow snow bear, which is highly carnivorous and often kills yaks. Yet, although many of the Tibetans know this bear sufficiently to give it a wide berth, they live in such an atmosphere of superstition that they are always ready to find extraordinary and supernatural explanations of uncommon events. Sighting 5. Lieutenant Colonel Charles Howard Burry, Tibet, 1920s. The leader of the 1921 Everest Reconnaissance Expedition, Charles Howard Burry, saw something strange when he was crossing the Lapka at 21,000 feet. Howard Burry, one of the many extraordinary mountaineers, was wealthy and had a colorful life growing up in a haunted Gothic castle at Charlesville, County Offaly, Ireland. In 1905, he bought a bear cub named it a goo, and took it home to Ireland, where it grew into a seven-foot adult. So he was familiar with bear prints. Was Howard Burry prone to the telling of tall stories? Fellow climber George Mallory didn't much like him, but thought not. The story he brought back seemed entirely plausible to fellow members of the Alpine Club. He was a careful observer of nature and a plant hunter. Howard Burry's diary notes for September the 22nd, 1921 read, we distinguished hair and fox tracks, but one mark, like that of a human foot, was most puzzling. The Sherpas assured me that it was the track of a wild, hairy man, and that these men were occasionally to be found in the wildest and most inaccessible mountains. Later, he expanded the story. He reported that the party, including Mallory, who also saw the tracks, was camped at 20,000 feet and set off at 4 a.m. in bright moonlight to make their crossing of the pass. On the way, they saw the footprints, which were probably caused by a large loping gray wolf, which in the soft snow formed double tracks rather like those of a barefooted man, he noted. However, the porters at once volunteered that the tracks must be that of the wild man of the snows, to which they gave the name Meto Kangmi. 
Citing six, Major Bill Tillman, Northern India, 1937. Tillman reported, While contouring around the foot of the ridge between these two feeder glaciers, we saw in the snow the tracks of an abominable snowman. They were eight inches in diameter, 18 inches apart, almost circular without signs of toe or heel. They were three or four days old, so melting must have altered the outline. The most remarkable thing was that they were in a straight line, one behind the other, with no stagger right or left, like a bird's track. A four-footed animal walking slowly puts its hind foot in the track of its forefoot, but there are always some marks of overlapping, nor are the tracks immediately in front of each other. However many-legged it was, the bird or beast was heavy, the tracks being nearly a foot deep. We followed them for a mile when they disappeared on some rocks. The tracks came from a glacial pool where the animal had evidently drunk, and the next day we picked up the same track on the north side of Snow Lake. The Sherpas judged them to belong to the smaller type of snowman, or yeti as they call them, of which there are apparently two varieties, the smaller whose track we were following, which feeds on men, while his larger brother confines himself to a diet of yaks. My remark that no one had been here for 30 years and that he must be devilishly hungry did not amuse the Sherpas as much as expected. The jest was considered ill-timed, as it perhaps was. The three of us standing forlorn and alone in a great expanse of snow, looking at the strange tracks like so many Robinson Carusos. Tillman speculated on the nature of the creature. A one-legged, carnivorous bird, weighing perhaps a ton, might make similar tracks, but it seems unnecessary to search for a new species when we have a perfectly satisfactory one at hand in the form of the abominable snowman, new perhaps to science, but old in legend. They followed the footprints for a mile, his diary notes tersely, 16 inches apart and about 6 to 8 inches in diameter. Blokes say it's hairy like a monkey. Sighting 7. Eric Shipton, Mount Everest, 1951. Western interest in the Yeti peaked dramatically in the 1950s. While attempting to scale Mount Everest in 1951, Eric Shipton took photographs of a number of large prints in the snow at about 20,000 feet elevation. These photos have been subject to intense scrutiny and debate. Some argue that they are the best evidence of Yeti's existence, while others contend the prints are those of a mundane creature that have been distorted by the melting snow. It was on one of the glaciers of the Minlung Basin at a height of about 19,000 feet that late one afternoon we came across those curious footprints in the snow, the report of which has caused a certain amount of public interest in Britain, Shipton wrote. We did not follow them further than was convenient, a mile or so, for we were carrying heavy loads at the time, and besides, we had reached a particularly interesting stage in the exploration of the basin. I have in the past found many sets of these curious footprints, and have tried to follow them, but have always lost them on the rocks at the side of the glacier. These particular ones seem to be very fresh, probably not more than 24 hours old. When Murray and Berdillion followed us a few days later, the tracks had been almost obliterated by melting. Sentencing, who had no doubt whatever that the creatures, for there had been at least two, that had made the tracks were yetis or wild men, told me that two years before he and a number of other Sherpas had seen one of them at a distance of about 25 yards. He described it as half man and half beast, standing about 5 feet 6 inches with a tall pointed head, its body covered with reddish-brown hair, but with a hairless face. He left no doubt as to his sincerity. Shipton, writing in the London Times, later added, The tracks were mostly distorted by melting into oval impressions, slightly longer and a good deal broader than those made by our mountain boots. But here and there, where the snow covering the ice was thin, we came upon a well-preserved impression of the creature's foot. It showed three toes and a broad thumb to the side. What was particularly interesting was that where the tracks crossed a crevasse, one could see quite clearly where the creature had jumped and used its toes to secure purchase on the snow on the other side. We followed the tracks for more than a mile down the glacier before we got on to rock-covered ice. Sighting 8. Colonel John Hunt. Everest, 1950s. Colonel Hunt, in his book of the successful 1953 British expedition, 
described an interesting encounter just after reaching base camp at the Thayyangbo Monastery. We were briefly shown round the sanctuary, after which a meal was served in an upper room. Seated with Charles Wiley and Tin Zing beside our host, a rotund figure robed in faded red, I questioned him about the Yeti, better known to us as the abominable snowman. The old dignitary at once warmed to the subject, peering out of the window onto the meadow where our tents were pitched. He gave a most graphic description of how a yeti had appeared from the surrounding thickets a few years back in winter, when the snow lay on the ground. This beast, loping along, sometimes on his hind legs and sometimes on all fours, stood about five feet high and was covered with gray hair, a description which we have heard from other eyewitnesses. Colonel Hunt continued, Oblivious of his guests, the abbot was reliving a sight imprinted on his memory as he stared across at the scene of this event. The yeti had stopped to scratch. It had picked up snow, played with it, and made a few grunts. The inhabitants of the monastery had meanwhile worked themselves into a great state of excitement, and instructions were given to drive off the unwelcome visitor. Conch shells were blown, and the long traditional horns sounded. The yeti ambled away into the brush. Sighting 9. Sonam Hisha Sherpa, Nepal, 1960s. Some of the Sherpas Graham Hoyland climbed with had stories about family yaks being attacked and yak herders terrorized by a creature that sounds like the enormous Tzu Te. In 1986, in Name Bazar, capital of the Sherpa Kumbu region, he met Sonam Hisha Sherpa. Twenty years previously, he had been grazing his yak-cow hybrids, the Zo, high on a pasture. During the night, he heard loud whistling and bellowing while he cowered with fright in a cave with his companions. They were sure they were going to be killed by the Zute after it had finished with their livestock. In the morning, Sonam and his men found that two Zo had been killed and eaten. There was no meat or bones remaining, only blood, dung, and intestines. And sighting 10, Don Willens, Annapurna, Nepal, 1970. In 1970, British mountaineer Don Willens claims to have witnessed a creature when scaling Annapurna. While scouting for a campsite, Willens heard some odd cries which his Sherpa guide attributed to a Yeti's call. That very night, Willens saw a dark shape moving near his camp. The next day, he observed a few human-like footprints in the snow and photographed them. And that evening, he viewed with binoculars a bipedal, ape-like creature for 20 minutes as it apparently searched for food not far from his camp. Willens could clearly see a powerful animal bounding along on all fours and headed straight up the slope in the absolutely bright moonlight. It looked like an ape. I don't think it was a bear, he said. In the morning, he said, his stash of Mars bars had gone. The next morning, he went up to make a full reconnaissance of the permanent base camp site, and he took the Sherpas along with him to gauge their reactions to the tracks. I thought I'd see their reaction at the point where I'd photographed the tracks the day before. The tracks were so obvious that it was impossible not to make any comment, but they walked straight past and didn't indicate that they'd seen them. I had already said that I had seen the Yeti, not knowing exactly what it was, but they pretended they didn't understand and ignored what I said. I am convinced that they believe the Yeti does exist, that it is some kind of sacred animal which is best left alone, that if you don't bother it, it won't bother you. In addition, there have been other sightings. In 1925, British photographer N.A. Zambazi, member of the Royal Geographical Society, saw at 15,000 feet near Zamu Glacier in the Himalayan Range a naked figure in outline walking through the snow. Tambazi later wrote that he observed the creature from about 200 to 300 yards for about a minute. Unquestionably, the figure in outline was exactly like a human being, walking upright and stopping occasionally to pull at some dwarf rhododendron bushes. It showed up dark against the snow, and as far as I could make out, wore no clothes, he stated. About two hours later, Zambazi and his companions descended the mountain and saw the creature's prints. He described them as similar in shape to those of a man, but only six to seven inches long by four inches wide. The prints were undoubtedly those of a biped, the order of the tracks having no characteristics whatever of any imaginable quadruped, he said.
In September of 1998, American mountain climber Craig Kalanika was on his way back to base camp on the Chinese side of Mount Everest when he encountered not one but two bipedal creatures walking together. They had thick shiny black fur with long arms and large hands. His Nepali cook also saw the Yeti. Kalanika was firm in his claim of what he saw. It was not a gorilla, not a bear, not a goat, and it was not a deer, he insisted. In 1986 and again in 1997, famed Italian mountain climber Reinhold Mesner told reporters he experienced a total of four Yeti sightings. In one case, he said, he was so close to one that he could easily have touched it. He also obtained a skeleton, and he took clear photographs of the animals. There are also reports of the Yeti attacking and killing local Sherpa people. The people are actually quite terrified of the Yeti due to its known violence, said Ken Gerhardt, noted field researcher and cryptozoologist. In 1974, a young girl herding cattle was violently attacked and thrown into a nearby stream, he related. When she regains consciousness, she finds all her cattle mutilated and dead, and she sees a huge upright creature leaving the scene. Mountaineers from numerous countries have had encounters with these large, ape-like creatures and have secured collections of footprints associated with them. And we also have reports from the Sherpa, Nepalese, and Tibetan people who inhabit the region. All of the descriptions are consistent within the identifying characteristics of the three types of yeti we mentioned previously. So, is there something stalking the Himalayan heights? Or is it just more of the same, misidentifications, imagination, or even hallucinations brought on by the thin air of those extreme mountain elevations? As it turns out, there are plenty of alternative explanations. Of course, that should come as no surprise to you. So let's hear what the skeptics have to say. Okay, so we have these very descriptive sightings over many years. These are not vague stories of seeing something odd, no. These are very specific stories, and those descriptions add up to describe a very singularly unique creature in form and action. And, of course, we have the legends and folktales passed down through generations of the people of the region. Yet, when you boil it down, all we really have are anecdotal stories, circumstantial hearsay, some photos of footprints, and purported encounters. Is there perhaps an explanation for what has been seen and reported? Indeed, there is. Benjamin Radford, bad science columnist for Live Science, notes there have been many hoaxes and misinterpretations over the years. In March 1986, Anthony Wooldridge, a hiker in the Himalayas, saw what he thought was a Yeti standing in the snow near a ridge about 500 feet away. It didn't move or make noise, but Wooldridge saw odd tracks in the snow that seemed to lead toward the figure. He took two photographs of the creature, which were later analyzed and proven genuine. Many in the Bigfoot community seized upon the photos as clear evidence of a yeti, including John Napier, an anatomist and anthropologist who had served as the Smithsonian Institution's director of primate biology. Many considered it unlikely Wooldridge could have made a mistake because of his extensive hiking experience in the region. The following year, however, researchers returned to where Wooldridge had taken the photos and discovered that he had simply seen a dark rock outcropping that looked vertical from his position. It was all a big mistake, much to the embarrassment of some Yeti believers. Radford says most of the evidence for the Yeti comes from sightings and reports. Like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, there is a distinct lack of hard proof for the Yeti's existence, though a few pieces of evidence have emerged over the years. In 1960, Sir Edmund Hillary, the first man to scale Mount Everest, searched for evidence of the Yeti. He found what was claimed to be a scalp from the beast, though scientists later determined that the helmet-shaped hide was in fact made from a cerro, a Himalayan animal similar to a goat. In 2007, American TV show host Josh Gates claimed he found three mysterious footprints in snow near a stream in the Himalayas. But Radford reports locals were skeptical, suggesting that Gates, who had only been in the area for about a week, simply misinterpreted a bear track. Nothing more was learned about what made the print, and the track can now be found not in a natural history museum, but instead in a small display at Walt Disney World. In 2010, 
Hunters in China caught a strange animal that they claimed was a yeti. This mysterious hairless four-legged animal was initially described as having features resembling a bear, but was finally identified as a civet, a small cat-like animal that had lost its hair from disease. A finger once revered in a monastery in Nepal and long claimed to be from a yeti was examined by researchers at the Edinburgh Zoo in 2011. The finger generated controversy among Bigfoot and Yeti believers for decades until DNA analysis proved that the finger was human, perhaps from a monk's corpse. The Russian government also took an interest in the Yeti in 2011 and organized a conference of Bigfoot experts in western Siberia. Bigfoot researcher and biologist John Bindernagel claimed that he saw evidence that the Yeti not only exists but also builds nests and shelters out of twisted tree branches. That group made headlines around the world when they issued a statement that they had indisputable proof of the Yeti and were 95% sure it existed based on some gray hairs found in a clump moss in a cave. Bindernagel may have been impressed, but another scientist who participated in the same expedition concluded that the indisputable evidence was hoaxed. Jeff Meldrum, a professor of anatomy and anthropologist at Idaho State University, who endorses the existence of Bigfoot, by the way, said that he suspected the twisted tree branches had been faked. Not only was there obvious evidence of tool-made cuts in the supposedly yeti-twisted branches, but also the trees were conveniently located just off a well-traveled trail and hardly in a remote area. Meldrum concluded that the whole Russian expedition was more of a publicity stunt than a serious scientific endeavor, likely designed to increase tourism in the impoverished coal mining region. Despite quasi-official claims of indisputable proof of the Yeti, nothing more has come of the story. In 2013, Oxford geneticist Brian Sykes put out a call to all Yeti believers and institutions around the world claiming to have a piece of Yeti hair, teeth, or tissue taken from a sighting. He received 57 samples, 36 of which were chosen for DNA testing, according to University College London. These samples were then compared with the genomes of other animals stored on a database of all published DNA sequences. Most of the samples turned out to be from well-known animals, such as cows, horses, and bears. However, Sykes found that two of the samples, one from Bhutan and the other from India, were a 100% match for the jawbone of a Pleistocene polar bear that lived sometime between 40,000 and 120,000 years ago, a period of time when the polar bear and closely related brown bear were separating as species, according to the BBC. Sykes thought the sample was probably a hybrid of a polar bear and a brown bear. However, two other scientists, Serdowin Edwards and Ross Barnett, conducted a reanalysis of the same data. They said that the sample actually belonged to a Himalayan bear, a rare subspecies of the brown bear. Their study results were published in the Royal Society Journal Proceedings of the Royal Society B. Another team of researchers, Ronald H. Pine and Alicia E. Gutierrez, also analyzed the DNA and also concluded that there is no reason to believe that Sykes' two samples came from anything but ordinary brown bears. And Radford recounts in 2017 yet another team of researchers analyzed nine Yeti specimens, including bone, tooth, skin, hair, and fecal samples collected from monasteries, caves, and other sites in the Himalayas and the Tibetan Plateau. They also collected samples from bears in the region and from animals elsewhere in the world. Of the nine Yeti samples, eight were from Asian black bears, Himalayan brown bears, or Tibetan brown bears. The ninth was from a dog. Colin Dickey, writing for Smithsonian Magazine, notes that unlike the Loch Ness Monster, the Chupacabra, or some giant thunderbird, a wild man necessarily straddles the worlds of the human and the animal with one big hairy foot in each realm. Would such a creature prove to be a missing link of some kind? Could it use tools? Would it have a language? Would it have rights? Wild men raise these questions because they trouble the line between human and non-human. And despite the absolute lack of evidence of their existence, stories remain 
with the wild man forever just outside the door, threatening to come inside. The lack of hard evidence, despite decades of searches, doesn't deter true believers. The fact that these mysterious creatures haven't been found is not taken as evidence that they don't exist, but instead, how rare, reclusive, and elusive they are. Like Bigfoot, a single body would prove that the Yeti exists, though no amount of evidence can prove they don't exist. For that reason alone, these animals, real or not, will likely always be with us. Nevertheless, the Yeti remains one of the most famous creatures of cryptozoology. As we have pointed out before in our exploration of strange things in the realm of the paranormal, such representations confirm the idea that the Yeti satisfies some psychological need to believe in myths, legends, and the existence of life that is not limited to the physical world known to scientists. In other words, we need the unknown. It opens up the possibilities that there is more to our existence than we can imagine. That rather than a limited and rather predictable world, there are infinite possibilities to explore. And the existence of mysterious creatures like the Yeti, no matter how improbable that may be, provides an air of discovery and adventure that is soothing to the human psyche. So, does the Yeti really exist? Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe what's more important is that it could. In our next episode of the Paranormal Factor podcast, we investigate the Flatwoods Monster, an infamous 1950s UFO story that is astounding in what it claims occurred. On September the 12th, 1952, after a bright object crossed the night sky, local residents of Flatwoods, West Virginia, decided to hike into the nearby woods to see if they could find any sign of what the bright light might have been and where it may have landed. It was a rural area and densely forested land. As they walked to the area they thought the bright light had gone, they had no idea of the horrific creature and terrifying encounter they were about to experience. Folks, this one has UFOs, and a towering extraterrestrial encountered by terrified locals. What did they experience in those dark woods that September night outside the town of Flatwoods? Well, join us as we chase down the Flatwoods monster next time on the Paranormal Factor podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Hey, before we get to the quiz, treat yourself by going out and visiting the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page. We've got terrific content out there for you. Every Monday is Monster Monday. We'll highlight a monster for you. Tuesday, you get the quiz, which you're going to get in a moment, but you will not get the answer unless you tune in to the week's episode on Friday. Wednesday, we like to highlight a paranormal book or film. And finally, Thursday, we try to give you some paranormal news that's current from out there in the world. So, let's get to our quiz. The quiz for this week. Where can you find the notorious skunk ape? Is it A, Texas, B, Brazil, C, Florida, or D, Tanzania? Once again, where can you find the notorious skunk ape? Is it Texas, Brazil, Florida, or Tanzania? And the answer is... C. Florida. The skunk ape is a possible form of Bigfoot, but it's noteworthy for walking the flat, swampy, and humid land of Florida. The skunk ape is commonly described as a bipedal, ape-like creature approximately 5 to 7 feet tall and covered in blotchy, reddish-brown hair. The skunk ape is often reported to be smaller in stature compared to common descriptions of Bigfoot from the northern U.S. and Canada. And how did it get its smelly name? Well, of course, it's named for its foul odor, which is often described as being similar to a skunk. One attribute that apparently makes it quite easy to determine the beast is nearby. The skunk ape has appeared in Florida, 
Georgia, and Alabama folklore since European settlers first occupied the region. In fact, in 1818, local newspapers reported a story from what is now Apalachicola, Florida, that spoke of a man-sized monkey raiding food stores and stalking fishermen along the shore. Seminole culture includes stories of a foul-smelling, physically powerful, and secretive creature called Esti Kapkaki, a name which roughly translates to cannibal giant. That's chilling. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization has archived hundreds of alleged sightings in the region. Most anecdotal reports and alleged visual evidence are deemed to be fabrication or hoaxes. Skeptical investigator Joe Nickel has written that some of the reports may represent sightings of the American black bear, possibly some suffering from mange, and it is likely that other sightings are hoaxes or general misidentification of wildlife. And the United States National Park Service considers the skunk ape to be a hoax. Still, there are all of those eyewitness reports to consider, as well as purported photos of the creature. But enough on the skunk ape for now. We'll devote an entire episode to this cryptid in a later installment of the Paranormal Factor podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.